Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 28 of Swimming Upstream. It's Alex Carver and Daniel DeVigo back with you guys for our latest recap of the happenings around the Miami Marlins and the Miami Marlins minor league system. Daniel, even if there isn't much to speak of on the major league front, as we always say, there's always something to talk about on the minor league front. But in this case, for this episode, it seems like there are storylines on both sides, the major league and minor league fronts. We'll get to both for you guys. We're going to go through some stuff to talk about at the major league level that has happened here in the month of August with the Marlins. And then, of course, we'll get to our levels and we will talk about standouts at each level of the Marlins minor league system. But before we do that, I got to bring in my partner on the show back with me, as always, Daniel DeVivo from Columbia. Daniel, thanks again so much for coming on. How are we doing? Hey, Alex. All good, man. Family's good. Everybody's healthy. All good news. Excited about my upcoming trip to, yes. to the U.S. Yes. <laughs> Going to go to a few um, Marlins minor league stadiums as well as, as, as Marlins games. So with the bro, with Marcelo. So um, that'll be definitely fun. Fun few days. Yeah, I obviously, uh, I've, I've been to Roger Dean. I was a season holder at Marlins Park for a few years. Yep. Um, but yeah, going to Pensacola and then Jacksonville, possibly those, those would be my new experiences. Awesome. Can't wait to get you back out to Florida. That's going to be awesome. Going to be good to see you as well. So, all right. Uh, One thing to get to before on on the personal side for the website and the brand for both me and Daniel, before we break in to our coverage here on what we want to talk about Um, the Twitter account, the fish on the farm Twitter account recently reached the 5,000 follower mark. Just a quick thanks guys. Cause we, I, and we can't thank you guys enough and tell you how much this means to both me and Daniel you know, we don't want to get too preachy, but we want to address this big milestone for us and send some gratitude. You know, for me personally, when I started this back seven years ago, I just wanted to donate time and give exposure to players that there was very little out on when the Marlins minor league system was uh, a shell of what it is right now under the old ownership, as we all know. Um, in 2021, obviously the scope of the franchise has changed, but the aim and object of our project is still the same. We want to do all we can to bring recognition to every name in the Marlins minor league ranks, not just your top 30 prospects. We want to go deep on all of these guys. That's why we have our top 100. You know, we want to give you guys these guys that do so much hard work and grind it out every day, especially after a lost season, give them as much exposure as possible. The life of minor league baseball players is not easy, but like I said, these guys give their bodies, their minds, all of it to pursue their, their, their dream, their childhood dream. So as much coverage as we can provide on as many names as we can provide, that's the real goal of fish on the farm and the podcast as well. Um, Just the fact that 5,000 people, be it the players themselves, their families, members of media that we work alongside, um, or most importantly, just fans that share this passion with us for these guys, these these prospects that are coming up and and building their careers. That means the world to us. And we really do appreciate every second of the podcast listened to, every second that you guys are taking to read an article, read a tweet, engage with us and send in questions, which we're going to get to again on, on this show, as we always do. It really does does mean the world to us. So for everyone that has done any of those things that I just mentioned, uh, huge thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for caring about what we think about this game and these players. Uh, we're humbled by that. And as long as you guys are there to support us, it's our duty to provide this service for you and, and bring you the best coverage that we can. And it's our pleasure to do so. And as Daniel always says, that's our passion. That's what we love to do. So um, thank you. Thank you so much again. Uh, Daniel, anything to add there? Beautifully said. Not much to add. It's it's an honor, you know, that as you mentioned, people are interested in, in what you and, and, and what I think about about baseball and about the Marlins. So so as, 
as Alex, as you were saying, thank you. Thank you to all of you. Awesome. All right, we'll go on, uh, onward. <laughs> Let's get to some baseball. Uh, as I mentioned uh, at the start, um, a couple things to cover on the major league front. Um, last Wednesday, Daniel, uh, we see the, the, the highly heralded debut of one of our favorite prospects and our top prospect uh, in our top 100, Edward Cabrera. Um, you know, Daniel, he, he comes to a team limping to the finish of what could be a 90 plus loss season. If we're looking at it, honestly, you know, I think this fan base needed to have a little bit of a fire lit under it. Uh, the Marlins tried to provide that by calling up their top prospect in Edward Cabrera. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't a great crowd out at Lone Depot Park uh, in the middle of the week, but a little, little bit heavier than it has been. I think some people took this um, as, a, as a reason to go out to the park. And I think they were definitely treated, um, you know, this start just in particular um, for, for Edward, um, a little unorthodox for him. We, we didn't see like the high strikeout yeah. numbers, the wipeout stuff or really any of that, but he was more commanding and controlling, you know, getting some weak contact and really just going straight after hitters. I mean, I think it's huge. And I've said this, you know, a couple of times that, you know, as much as you want to see the strikeouts and I, they will come <laughs> because this kid's stuff is too good not to do that. Um, I think he noticed and it's so big for his maturity to notice that, hey, they're swinging at my stuff early. I'm going to bring it right to you. And here it is. Come get it. And they, the Washington Nationals pretty much didn't have a chance. Um, he was good all night. He, he, we he sandied. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he sandied oh. Alcantara at them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A couple moments of hard contact. Um, uh, good defense behind him, though. Brian De La Cruz made a great play. Some double plays behind him as well, which he was pumped up about. Love to see it. So, yeah, for him to show that kind of maturity, you know, even if the strikeout numbers weren't there in his big league debut, to go out in that moment and put on that kind of mature outing, what does that say for you? It was fun to see. Um, you know, it's showing that it's not just the strikeouts, which will come, absolutely, but that he's able to also have these games where he's able to go into the seventh inning. I mean, that's his first start. Yeah. Um, a lot of weak, weak contact, as you mentioned, like a lot of double plays. That's Sandy's best friend. He has, he has it tattooed in his hand. Yep. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, that's good to see. Like as he matures, he'll, he'll start understanding what a, a start or a game needs at different moments. You don't always need to try to strike out everyone. Some, some hitters will, will allow you the opportunity to, turn one out into two so it's good to see man and I, I i foresee him i project him to strike out a lot of mets tomorrow on tuesday definitely yeah <laughs> tuesday looks to go again in one of those games in the doubleheader. i i hope it's the second game so he can get some some time scouting the mets hitters see what they go they're going after and stuff like that especially after how that first outing went where he was just pounding guys because they were swinging early as i mentioned for him to get maybe just some time first start on the road of course you know looking at some of these mets hitters and how they're attacking i think that would be good to start him in the second game rather than the first but we'll see what they do (laughs) that's a tricky situation uh, there yeah they can do whatever they want with him just make sure he pitches on sunday that i'm gonna be at the stadium (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whichever works tomorrow on Tuesday, but um, just make sure it's him on Sunday. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome for you to get to see him in person for sure. Um, oh, one more thing to mention, just because you brought up Sandy. Um, after this start, and we saw him do this with Luzardo as well, but just in terms of Sandy, like you see him like for an inning and a half, he's breaking down the start with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just speaks to 
volumes to what Sandy has been able to do in proving himself as the leader of not only the pitching staff, but basically next to Miguel Rojas as the leader of this team. Um, so just just uh, your thoughts on some of his leadership qualities. I think that's one of the brightest spots of the season outside of what he's done on the mound, which, of course, is fantastic. The fact that he's growing into that inspirational leader at such a young age. What's that say for you? Extend Sandy. <laughs> I mean, if there's someone you need to extend, you need to extend this offseason. It's now. Yeah, he's a leader. He's getting better every year. He's striking out. He's getting weak contact. He's a horse. I mean, he there's it's a it's it's a weird game where he doesn't go to into the seventh inning. Yeah. Um, stop it with with um the nickel and diming. Yeah. And 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 extend Sandy Alcantara. He's your ace. And, and they have the money. They have, they have all this new they money. You know. Yep. Yeah, players coming off books. Like, get it done, man. You got you know, get it done. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we could spend <laughs> another hour on that, but we won't. Yeah. We're, we're going to go on. <laughs> uh, the next topic to get to on the big league front is um, Brian De La Cruz. This guy, um, definitely a bright spot for the Marlins on both sides of the ball now. And basically, since the Marlins traded for him, you know, here's the numbers on the offensive side. 355, 390, 473, 137 WRC+. Plus. To go with that, though, a very high Babbitt, 470 Babbitt. I said this earlier today when I was talking to the Fish Rapes guys, Daniel, um, the only other, the only player in Major League Baseball with 100 plus plate appearances with a higher Babbitt is Brandon Marsh. We all know the story about Brandon Marsh, who may still become a Marlin, maybe in the offseason. But yeah, I just thought that was a funny stat. But anyways, um, yeah, just just as good as he's been, I, I, I think we should put this into context, context that fact of how high that batup is and then his average at Lone Depot Park is 391 which is not going to sustain however that said this guy even if he turns into a 250 260 player with the defense that he plays you know and the ability to get on base I think that's a fine fourth outfielder the question I wanted to ask you about him Daniel though is his ceiling potentially has more so let's say that the Marlins, they are going to address center field in the offseason. We know that. They're probably going to address catcher. They probably should address two outfield spots, not just one. But let's just say they get a center fielder um, and, and a um, and catcher, and they go into spring training with maybe a couple of minor league invitees and whatever else that always happens in spring training, right? Um, what is this guy's chance to be the opening day, I guess it would be left fielder for the Marlins in 2022 right now? If if the Marlins only go out and get a center fielder, I say he has a pretty good chance to be the starting outfielder for the Marlins. Um, but I don't think that should be the way to go. Um, I think he should really fight for it. And then the Marlins need to bring another corner outfielder in, apart from the center fielder, probably a corner outfielder through free agency and a center fielder through trade, through a trade. Um, so with that said, your specific question in, in, in your hypothetical situation, I do think that position would, would be his, um, the, the, you know, Burdick, a guy like Burdick um, or JJ Bleday would need to have a crazy spring training for them to take it away from him. Because right now it's, I mean, who would he really be fighting with? Uh, I think Jesus Sanchez has a spot the new center fielder would have a spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, Brinson's still going to be here. 
uh, Mags, I assume, is not going to be here, but we said that before. <laughs> um, if, if the Marlins only go out and get one more outfielder, it's not going to be ideal. They need to get two. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they should definitely make this guy the fourth outfielder, and he could be among the best fourth outfielders in the league. Um, you know, like Harold Ramirez, as Eli Sussman <laughs> is his guy that we, he always <laughs> talks about. Um, from fish stripes, you know, he, he, he called him Harold Ramirez with a glove. And I think that's, that's a good comparison because this guy can hit, um, you know, I don't think he's going to be this 350 hitter that he is right now, yeah, but no. even if, like I said, if he becomes a 260, you know, 250, 260 hitter off the bench, that's value. And he's shown that he can play all three outfield spots and, and very well from what it looks like. So yeah, a good piece to get back and all for Jimmy Garcia. So, um, I think Marlins definitely won that trade. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely good to see. Um, he's been a bright spot for sure. So just wanted to address him and we'll see what they do in, in the off season. But yeah, as, as we said, I, we think they should get uh, two outfielders, but if they don't, he definitely looks like he has an inside edge to possibly be a starter um, in 2022, depending on what they do. Um, so yeah, that's good news on him. Uh, the other thing we want to get to is not good news. <laughs> um, this was really unfortunate. Um, Jordan McPherson put out from the Miami Herald this morning about Jake Eater um, who we've talked to on the show, um, awesome kid. And he has, um, decided it has been decided. I should say that he needs Tommy John surgery. Um, he's been out for a while now on the seven day disabled list. Um, and it's been revealed that he needs Tommy John surgery. His season will be over. Um, and he's looking at what probably most of next year, I would say that he's going to be out as well. Yeah. I would say all of next year. Yeah. Normally like most, 13, if not all. 13. Yeah. I mean, the recovery times, yeah, like you said, are usually pretty long. Um, some guys have gotten ahead of it, you know, at times. It just depends how the body heals. But I think they're going to take it easy with this kid, right? You know, it's it's a guy that's fourth-round draft pick, you know, and he did so well to start. So um, if he is still with the Marlins organization, which I think he will be, and we'll talk about that, um, then, you know, it's, it's you're probably looking at him missing all of next season. I agree with Daniel. Um, but, yeah, just, just – an unfortunate situation, Daniel, but you know, this guy had never thrown more than 40 innings in his college career. And then of course he misses all of 2020 uh, with, with the COVID year, of course, canceling college baseball. And now he comes in and he's at 70 innings and he throws a ton of high leverage pitches, ton of sliders, a lot of changeups, you know, and mixes in the high, the, the high, heat, the high heat fastball. So yeah, I'm really not surprised by it, honestly, that this happens, uh, that this happens and it sucks. But that said, the Marlins have done a great job with um, Tommy John uh, recipients, Daxton Fulton, Braxton Garrett, Jordan Holloway. We could go on with others, but you know, this, I've mentioned this before, this Fernandez. used to be like the kiss of death in baseball. And I'm sure you remember Daniel. Mm-hmm. And nowadays it's like par for the course, right? Like it's, I guess it's like a, like a, I don't know, like a something that just has to be done for you, for, for a lot of guys to become, um, effective major league pitchers, you know, cause as we know, the, the pitching movement in the arm is not a natural body motion. So it sucks, but I, I think we'll see him back. Um, you know, as a 24 year old could make his debut by age 25. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world as, as, as unfortunate as it is. Um, my question for you on this is this is now a guy that is likely going to be taken out of the fold when it comes to uh, trades in the off season, because I really don't think that the Marlins will get what they want for him. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he will still have trade value for sure because of how good he started, but I just don't think the Marlins will trade him. So you're looking at going to, you know, other guys. So where does this put, it was close to a sure thing, you know, during the, um, during the, uh, 
the deadline that we were going to get rid of certain guys. But now where does this put the futures of guys like Meyer, McCambly, um, Kyle Nicholas, like these guys that we've been hearing the names about as candidates, are they now basically sure things to be dealt this offseason? So I'll get to that in a second. Something that I want to mention that's interesting um, to finish up the, the eater, how everything went through, I think it would be interesting to find out how that worked. Because if you looked at his, at his game logs, mm-hmm. his last three starts, I mean, there was something going on. You know, I thought it was just they were just managing his innings. And yeah, maybe, it's, maybe it's it is what happened, but I mean, out of nowhere, you know, everybody's pitching six innings, right? Five, six innings, and he's pitching four point one in in his July twenty second start, three innings, like, and and not yeah. he's not like he pitched seventy, you know, through seventy pitches in those three innings. Right. They just had him at three, and three point two August thirteenth, and then you know. The news, the, the, he missed the start, and then the, the news came in that Tommy John. So something, I don't know if it's weird, but it's something like, I wonder what happened there. Right. You know, like, did he say that something hurt? Um, uh, it'd be interesting to find out. Regarding your question, traits. <laughs> I kind of got into this on, on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and... Yes, the Marlins need to trade from their pitching depth. I think, I mean, now with Eater out, I don't know if the Marlins are going to want to trade Meyer because they, they were both kind of on the same level and then they probably saw them as pitching depth for, for 2022, the 2022 season. Uh, they're probably not going to make the rotation, but second or third month, they may be able to come up and, and, and be really a really important part of, of, of contention. So I'm not sure if with Eater out, they're going to be wanting to trade Meyer. Maybe they will. Um, but I think this increases the chances of McCambly, Kyle Nicholas, those types of guys um, being traded. So I would say Meyer would be less likely and those two would be more likely. What uh, <laughs> really... Um, grinded my gears was the talk about trading Eddie. oh boy Eddie. i know um, <laughs> you know i mean come on you guys that are our um frequent listeners know how i feel about your parents and your parents your parents to to me right now if he were drafted as an 18 year old he'd be 1.1 in the draft i mean that's the type of talent we have and and you're saying that you prefer to trade him, like see him become an ace in the freaking Astros or in the freaking Pirates, you know, because we're not going to maybe invest in, in, in free agents, like bring hitters of caliber. You say you're going to trade this guy who's as an 18 year old, he's, he's killing it in high A. I mean, uh, that, that, that kind of, I mean, that, that's what makes, you know, it hasn't happened so it's obviously hypothetical but <laughs> you'll know like if you ever see mish put out the tweet harlan's traded yuri paris to the astros or something for whoever you'll know um you'll know i'll be i'll be in fetal position in my bed <laughs> after reading it no yeah i can't i can't blame you i mean i, I 
I totally understand. And I'm, I'm with you. Like that's one of the last guys. I mean, he's bordering borderline untouchable just because, you know, four years younger than league average competition with Jupiter killed it five over five years younger than league average competition and boy killing it. So yeah, that's one guy I just don't want to see leave, you know, stuff is so good. He's cleaned it up so fast as we've mentioned in previous shows. So I really don't want to see that kid go, but if you're talking about trading with a team like the Pirates, who I think should be at the top of the Marlins list or phone call list <laughs> this off season, um, you know, they're going to want younger prospects. So um, he's going to be asked about, but I hope the Marlins say no as much as Daniel does, because <laughs> that kid's been really good. Um, the yeah. only other thing in terms of trades that I wanted to mention, and I just mentioned this to you, Daniel, uh, before we started the show um, is the timing of the call-ups for Zach McCambley and Kyle Nicholas. Um, Kyle Nicholas before, right before he got called up was not doing good. (laughs) Like, you know, he had, you know, just looking at his last three starts, um, with the snappers, two of them, he gave up more than six earned or six earned runs. Exactly. And then his last start was good, uh, before he got promoted. Um, and then McCandley, same thing. He was giving up homers. I think his last start, one of his last starts, he gave up like three homers, you know, so it was just an odd time to call them up. I think with McCambly, his call kind of coincided with Meyer and Eater going to the Futures game. So I was like, okay, maybe they just need somebody to pitch for one game and he's going to get sent back. But he's still there. And I said this earlier today and I wanted to address it with you, Daniel. Do you think that in terms of those two players whose names we've heard a lot come up in trade talks um, already, do you think that it's the Marlins, you know, exposing them to the upper minors to kind of get them the exposure um, for a possible incoming trade in the offseason? I think that's a good theory. Um, definitely. Obviously I do feel they just, he, that they felt they needed to be more challenged, especially with McCambly. McCambly was, he was dominating high A. So with him, it was natural to see him go up, even though his last couple starts before being promoted were, were not good. Um, with Nicholas, he wasn't doing well, but, but the, the promotion worked for him. I mean, yeah, he has absolutely. been, I think you may talk, uh, talk about yeah. him yeah. later in the show, but he mm-hmm. has been amazing. Um, so yes, I think that's exactly um, what they're doing. I think it's a good theory exposing them and showing it that, that they can do this do it at the, um, at the higher levels. So it's working, man. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, we'll see what they do in the offseason, but um, as we come up to it, I'm sure there'll be much, much more to talk about here as the season winds down and we get, get up to the winter meetings. And, you know, you got <laughs> you got a lot of moving parts there as well. The DH and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the uh, collective bargaining agreement and all these other things that we're going to have to talk about here organizationally as we go forward. That will open some doors for us to talk about conversations like that leading up to trade talks and everything else. So we'll leave it there for now. Uh, we got a lot more to get yeah. to. Uh, we'll go on to our, our levels. Yeah, and- I do agree that it's going to be a fun off season yeah. for the Marlins. I mean, fun in terms of activity. I don't know if fun in terms of, of the trades, I'll tell you right now, if they trade out, it's not going to be a fun, a fun off season for me, but there's going to be a lot of movement because I don't even want to like think about like what, how I would like phrase that to you on the podcast. Like, Hey, we got to talk about Yuri getting <laughs> traded, man. <laughs> I'll, to bring in a replacement. Talk about it. I'll, I'll bring in a replacement for that episode, man. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be grabbing me on a, on a bad spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> understood uh we'll leave that hopefully that doesn't happen we'll leave, we'll leave it there for that now happen, yeah uh, hopefully it's moot <laughs> exactly we'll, we'll go on 
Um, and we'll go to our levels. Um, I was going to start at the FCL, which we did last show, but Daniel, I understand you have a Dominican summer league uh, player that you wanted to talk about. So I will let you go ahead first. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about one guy who has impressed me um, because the, the hitter, the, the hitting right now isn't top level over there. Um, there's not really anyone who's, who stands out. Yidi's not having the best season. He's, he's better, but Yidi uh, Kape, I mean, but there is one pitcher who has impressed me and yes, this is happening. It's another Eudi. <laughs> um, this one is spelled Eudi with an I instead of a Y. Uh, he's called Eudi Montero, and he's 19 years old, 6'4", 170. He was signed in 2020, obviously, uh, as a, he's also from the Dominican, as an international amateur. He, he's having a pretty good start to his pro career, only 19 innings, but at 10.42K per nine, um, 1.21 whip, 379 ERA with a 2.39 fielder independent pitching, though. So it's a relatively high ERA, but um, a really, really good FIP. Unfortunately, I just don't know anything about his stuff yet. Um, that's not something that we have access to at the at the Dominican Summer League level. But what I look for at these levels for, for guys like these is, is their strikeout numbers in comparison with their walks. And Montero is here, like he's, he's doing well in both and getting ground balls at a good rate um, as well. By the way, so I just kind of want to bring him bring this kid bring this kid like to your attention um like to 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 the people who listen to us uh, listen to us so they they have someone to look for when they go into the box scores for for dominican summer league uh i do hate to rain on on aod number two's parade here though but kid's 19 man he's 19 and it's a good age to be at in the dsl and somehow I have to bring him in. Eudi number one is one full year younger than him. And he was just promoted to high A, three levels higher after dominating low A. Again, just, I just wanted to use that, this again to, <laughs> to um, talk about the kid, just show, show how special he is. I mean, we're talking here about 19 year old who is at a good age in his level. And then we compare him to the other Eudi who is a year younger than him and dominating in high A. You know, that's nuts, guys. Yeah, crazy the fact that Yuri is, Yuri the pitcher, or Yuri number one, I should say, as Daniel, they're both pitchers. <laughs> Yuri number one, that's here and we're all talking about right now. The fact that he's doing that at the level that he's doing this at oh, is, man. is incredible. It's something that yeah. I, I've referred to it. I, I don't think I've ever really seen it outside of maybe one or two other players that I've, that I've reported on since doing this project. And man, it's, it's a joy. I, I really can't say enough about that. And we'll keep talking about him because he definitely deserves the recognition. Um, another guy that I guess we could just call out real quick before we move on from the Dominican summer league. Um, as Daniel said, we don't really get a lot of exposure to this level, just what players put on Instagram or um, what the organization puts out on, on some of these guys, which they have done a little bit. Um, but yeah, another kind of call out is, is Kevin Guerrero. Um, you know, we, we've talked about how at, at these levels, how, you know, offense is fleeting <laughs> and it definitely has been, um, for the DSL Marlins this season, but this guy has been solid. I mean, if you look at just the numbers and I'm, I'm going mostly based off of numbers, purely, honestly, this is what I'm going off of because I 
Haven't seen him swing much. I haven't seen a lot of video on him, but he comes out of, I think last year's um, international signing class. I don't have the number on his signing bonus. Maybe Daniel has that, but uh, 28 games so far in the Dominican summer league. And he's hitting 281 with a 397 on base percentage. Power hasn't really come yet. It's just a 313 slugging, but again, 17 year old kid growing into his body. So that's to be expected. He's 6'3", 165, probably going to add a lot more muscle onto the body, I'm sure. Uh, looks like a projectable frame from pitchers that I've seen. Um, and then speed as well. 11 steals and only three caught stealing. So um, a name to watch if you are interested in watching this Dominican Summer League box scores, which I do, and I'm sure Daniel follows them daily as well. Um, you know, it, it's just a name that keeps popping up. He's consistently hitting as a 17-year-old kid in his first action in pro ball. And there's something to be yeah. said for that, especially at a level where players are at their rawest level, just learning the ins and outs of baseball um, at this level. So a good thing to see that uh, some numbers are popping for Kevin Guerrero, which is definitely yeah, an interesting he's definitely, definitely someone to follow. Uh, and he does come with the pedigree. 600,000 was the, the bonus. So that's, that's relatively high. You know, that, I was just looking for it here, like impromptu, because I heard you mention the DSL guys. Like, I think he got yeah, it for signing yeah. bonus, but I didn't want to be wrong. So <laughs> well, it's a good one on you. I mean, he's been getting better. Like he started out pretty slow, but the last couple of weeks have, have been really good for him. Something to keep in mind at DSL, like every, like every two games, there's a, there's a, a postponement for rain mm -hmm. like it's raining like yeah. crazy in the fbl2 right is the same thing so. yeah so it's really hard for these kids to to maintain consistency like that so that's also something to keep in mind for these hitters like for pitchers it's normal but for hitters you know they need those routines um and yeah guerrero has been getting better and better as as the year goes on so definitely also someone to keep your keep your um eyes on yeah definitely inside of our top 100 too um and should be rising up by the time our next update comes, especially if he keeps us up. So a good name to watch um, if you're into these um, lowest level kids, I should say over there in the DSL. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll go up. Uh, we'll go to um, the FCL stateside short season ball here in the Florida complex league. Um, Daniel, um, there's not really a shortage of names to pick from at this level because there's like 50 guys on this roster <laughs> and they kind of play interchangeably. You know, you'll see a guy, uh, lots of guys get taken out like mid game to break room for another guy you know, especially at like middle infield positions, they have a ton of middle infield talent at this level pitchers as well. They have a ton of pitchers. So yeah, it's just, it, we kind of see guys in short spurts, but um, there's definitely some pluses at this level. So I'll let you go first here on FCL guys that have stood out to you here. Sure. Um, let's start with, with a name. A lot of us have, have heard. This is a, a good name to follow Ian Lewis, uh, Bahamian kid. He has really, really impressed me. When he was signed, I had him as a speedy guy with a good hit tool. That definitely hasn't been the case. Yeah, kid has pop. I did not have him as someone who has pop. For the season, he has an 834 OPS with a 500 slugging. That's, that's pretty good. Three home runs and 127 at-bats and 12 more extra pace hits between doubles and triples. He looks legit. Um, what do you say, Alex? Uh, middle Bahamian middle of the infield in 2024? <laughs> yeah, Jazz and, and Ian, that would be awesome. And we know Jazz talks him up. Like I remember yeah. him where he was like, man, I played with that kid when he was like seven, eight years old, and I already knew that he was going to be a big leaguer. So that yeah. coming from Jazz Chisholm, um, I'm not going to argue know, against I mean, When he said that, I was like, yeah, in every professional – 
player always says it like, oh yeah, my brother's better than me. Like they <laughs> they already made it. You say your brother is, oh, he's better than me. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But now I kind of believe him. Maybe, I mean, not that he's better than him. I mean, it's too early to tell, but he really is good. He has really impressed me. So, so good to see Ian Lewis. I'll call out my two guys from the FCL. Um, and I think we'd be remiss not to talk about this guy. Um, Daniel talking about draft guys, um, Khalil Watson, uh, of course, is the Marlins first round draft pick uh, this season. He gets assigned finally makes his debut on August 16th. He went over in that game. He did get on base, but he went over in that game. Since then he's 12 for 27, three doubles, a triple five RBIs. He's also walked more than he struck out at seven, uh, seven walks and only six K's. Obviously, this is a very small sample size, guys, but you have to like how this guy has shown just immediate translation, you know, at least at least against right-handed pitching. Uh, we haven't seen him basically at all against his fellow lefties, just two at-bats against them. So we will need to see what happens there, how he does against um, same-side pitching. Um, that remains to be seen. I'm not going to pass judgment on only, I think, two at-bats against lefties to this point. So um, that's something I want to see is how he handles um, left-handed pitching for sure. Um, but yeah, man, to this point against, against righties, Daniel, um, just, just picking a guy to compare him to in his current state, right. In his current state of development as where I think he's at the same level as this guy is at right now. And the guy that I'm comparing him to, of course, is older is Osiris Johnson. Um, it's similar size and absolutely just prolific bat speed just needs to do some work with his pitch recognition and play discipline. Um, the good news for Khalil is of course that he's 18 years old. And as I said, he's off to a, a great start in his first handful of games. Uh, swing is awesome. Hard contact galore. Um, just needs to make it happen consistently. And he has, of course, insurmountable time to do that. You know, as, as much power as the bat speed promotes here, I think he can grow into more raw power as the body fills out. So a ton to like. Um, add to that extremely athletic love at shortstop, good speed. I think there's four or five present tools here, um, Daniel. A ton to like. I've really loved um, every single box score that we've looked at, the, the couple films that we've seen mm -hmm. on him. Um, excited for that kid, yeah. man. So any thoughts on, on Watson and what he's done so far? Impressed. Um, I mean, what he has shown for now is, is, is a hit tool. I think he's in like 400 or something, Yeah. but, but not, not pop yet. I haven't seen enough right. extra base hits, but I mean, if that's what he's going to be <laughs> moving forward, it's what the Marlins need. Low K rate, high, high average. Um, because we, God knows we have enough, uh, strikeout, you know, propensity guys and, and, and high power, high power possibility. So, so I'm, I'm really excited about Khalil, man. Every single you know, 12 PM, it's like my time to check the box score and see what he did and see what the other FCL kids did. Um, so, I mean, it was, uh, it was, I'm still impressed from, with that draft from, from Miami. Um, exciting. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only other question on him before we go on, and I have one more guy to get to here before we move on, uh, not to go too long, but um, I've been asked this question a lot. Um, chances that he gets the push to Jupiter this season, do you think it's possible? I think it's possible, um, but I don't think they'll do it. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple weeks. I'm not sure. But but it's definitely possible, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, have always been pretty aggressive. Yeah, I agree that it's possible. I just think that um, you know, especially now with the call of a Salas who they have at shortstop, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's room right now. <laughs> um, but we'll see. We'll see what they do. Um, I wouldn't be against it. I know a lot of people 
um, want to get out and watch him play. I don't blame you guys. I want to get out and watch him play as well. Uh, but I, I personally think because of Salas's call up and they have a ton of other middle infielders as well already on that roster. Um, I just don't think the regular at bats are there this season for him to do it, but Hey, let's see what, what moves they make here in the final month of the season. It, as Daniel said, it's possible. All right. Uh, I'll go on to my other guy just briefly here on this guy. Cause I really don't have a lot on him. Um, just going by numbers, of course, and a couple of reports that I did see and hear uh, the other FCL guy I'll call out is a right-handed pitcher, Luis Vizcaino. Um, 2019 international signee. I couldn't find anything, Daniel, on this guy's signing bonus. So we know what that usually means. Um, that it probably wasn't uh, a fortune. <laughs> uh, yeah, this sure. guy this guy has been really effective, though. Um, been the most consistent starter, I would say, for the FCL team. Uh, 33 innings pitched, 3.27 ERA, 1.3 whip, 2.41 uh, strikeouts to walks ratio. Uh, as I said, I heard a couple reports. He is now built up. I know his MILB player page says different um, because that hasn't been updated. But he's grown up to 6.5200 this year. Sits around like 92, 94 with the heat, can ramp it up to 96 at its highest. Um, his best breaker is a power curveball that's like high 70s. And he's said to have a really solid command tool. Um, but he's been a little, little up and down this year with that, you know, a little up in the zone, I should say. Um, not many ground balls, and he's allowed four homers already. But this is a guy who's just threw 4.2 innings, uh, you know, in, in 2019, for of course missing a season, now starting this season again in short season ball. Uh, before acclimating while acclimating stateside, I should say, which is, you know, the personal side of baseball, which is coming to a new country. So um, yeah, I've, I've liked what, what I've seen from this kid's numbers and the couple of reports that I've seen still just 20 years old um, should be with single A Jupiter, I would say next season, but um, a guy to watch for sure. I think with Luis Vizcaino. Right. So uh, we'll go up to um, their stadium mates. Um, of course the FCL plays on the backfields and then, Jupiter plays in the stadium at Roger Dean Stadium, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, I should say. Uh, Single Jupiter, they've continued to see this influx of draftees and a few other FCL call-ups, uh, such as Salas, who I mentioned. Um, it's gotten a little better there in terms of results, especially in terms of sustained offense for the Jupiter Hammerheads. Um, they've won, I think, uh, in, as we're recording this, nine of their last 10 games and 14 of 24 in August. Um, we'll have some main reasons for that success on deck, but I'll let you go first here, Daniel. Go ahead. I got, I got one guy in Jupiter. It's Luis Palacios. Um, I think we all know Palacios and his story. We've spoken a lot about him on our podcast. And, uh, you know, again, this is the kid, for those of you that don't know, the kid who has had video games numbers throughout his, his career, but had never really been challenged, like DSL, um, back then it was called GCL, the, the, the now FCL. It was like you know, crazy ERAs. He started out injured for the first half of the season and then was assigned to Jupiter. He's a very interesting case. He has produced really good numbers um, with a fastball that's no harder than 80 mi 89 miles per hour. Like if you check StatCast, <laughs> it's kind of a little rounding joke here. If you check StatCast, it, it's the <laughs> system reads his fastball as a changeup. <laughs> um, so he, his best pitch is actually a changeup, but, but I mean, he, he does not throw hard. And, and this is something that we were all asking ourselves about his stuff when he was in the DSL, like, you know, where's the fastball, you know, what's, what's his stuff that makes him 
have a 1.80 ERA and a 0.80 whip, you know, like what is he doing? Uh, well, I mean, for this season, he has a 10.05 K per nine. So he's still striking out guys. Uh, so while his stuff isn't elite, he does miss bats and he's still 20 years old. You know, he's not a 24 year old pitching at low A, not at all. The key with him is just seeing how his numbers translate as he goes to the higher levels. But our experience with guys who throw 88, 89, it's so hard to be consistent because, yeah, you can have an amazing start. And that's why I'm a bit hard on Braxton and Braxton Garrett. You can have an amazing start. Of course you can if, if, if your command is there and everything clicks. But pitching 88, throwing 88, 89, that leaves you with a really, really thin margin of error. If you don't have a good day, you'll get blown up. You know, you'll give up five, six runs. Um, you'll only pitch two or three innings and leave your team in a bad situation. So, so of course, I mean, we need to keep monitoring him because he keeps doing well and then and, and see how that goes. But uh, yeah, it's just something to keep your, keep your eyes on for August. Let's see, he struck out 25 guys in 20.2 innings and pitched to a 3.92 year array with a 1.02 whip, which is very, very good. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's a guy that that was awesome, <laughs> you know, overseas and in the GCL. And then um, now he's in Jupiter. He's still doing pretty well, I would say. I think he just got his first career save the other night because the Marlins had, I think Zach Pop started in a rehab and then they went bullpen and then who would have been the starter was Palacios and he got a four inning save, which was kind of cool to see. Uh, but yeah, no, um, that's a guy that I definitely agree, Daniel. He's going to need to find velocity somewhere because <laughs> as good as your curveball and breaking stuff can be, and his breaking stuff is pretty good. I think um, he's going to need to find some more fastball velocity because you're not going to get by, you know, even if your command's perfect, I don't think you can get by in major league baseball. If your average fastball velocity is 89 you know, guys like, like Dan Heron or, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't really exist that much anymore. It, it today's major league baseball. So um, yeah, I would say that he definitely needs to find some, some kind of more fastball velocity, but you know, he's 6'2, 160, he's 21 years old. I think there's some more body growth that can be done there. Uh, maybe he can find uh, a little bit more added arm speed. Uh, he's a pretty free and easy guy. So um, yeah, maybe a little bit higher effort, a little more velocity can come. I, I think it's possible that's what you want to see as he, as he fills out, but still, like I said, still 21. So some time, but I, I've, I've always loved Palacios as you know, so um, we'll see what he does. <laughs> uh, I had two guys. Uh, I'll get to them briefly here. Um, the first one's Bennett Hostetler. Um, Daniel, all this guy's done since he's been drafted by the Marlins is hit. <laughs> he's hitting in his major league career so far, 329, 364, 427. That's an 82 career at bats, mostly with Jupiter. Um, currently riding an eight game on base streak. He's reached base in 17 of 21 total games that he's played. Um, the only knock I have on him, honestly, is a lack of walks, just three. Um, so that I, again, as we talk about with guys that are beginning to recognize major league pitching, I think that will definitely work itself out. Um, so yeah, that, that's the, the point of growth that you would want to see is him take some more pitches, but man, uh, raw power. Uh, it, it, it is, he does have a little bit of raw power. It hasn't really been translated to game power. Um, but lately he has shown some flashes uh, and one big one, which I'll get to, but yeah, the, the raw power he's always spoke about in, in, in college. Um, and he did translate it a little bit, as I said here, uh, most recently, um, massacred his first career home run with 109 mile an hour exit velocity, 419 feet 
at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. And that's not an easy thing to do at that stadium, as we know from, you know, covering the team as long as we have and spring training as well um, at that stadium. So, yeah, definitely a, a really welcome sight there to see that. Um, defensive side, he was drafted as a shortstop, but he's played mostly, if not almost all, at third base where he's looked really, really good. I've seen him make some plays on some hard hit balls that he's looked really good. Arm looks accurate. Um, he can also slot in as an outfielder um, if needed per his collegiate stats. So I think if he can develop that more consistent game power that I just talked about, he could become more. But at 23, Daniel, I'd say this is like a future utility guy that can make solid contact and get on base. But he's looked really good so far. Um, any thoughts on on Hostel? I like what I've seen. Uh, my brother was like, hey, this year's Burdick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously Burdick was a third rounder and, and Hossettler is, uh, 17th, I believe. So not the same pedigree, but he's been the biggest surprise. Um, you know, very good surprise and kid can hit. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to see how he continues to develop the power. Cause if he does that, I think the ceiling's pretty good. Um, and a guy that has positional flexibility, which we know the Marlins love. So, um, really good. I've liked him so far as well. Um, I'll get to one more guy with Jupiter. Um, believe it or not, the Marlins have not only another Jesus. How many Jesuses are there on the roster right now? Like three or four. <laughs> um, three. And now we have another one up and coming. And not only is his first name Jesus, his last name Sanchez. So this is another Jesus Sanchez in the Marlins organization. Um, so they literally try to, I guess, differentiate him from Jesus Sanchez that's in the majors by including his middle initial on his MILB player page. <laughs> uh, this is, I think Jesus Enrique Sanchez, he goes by Jesus E. Sanchez. Um, I think it will be interesting to see if Aguilar, you know, I'm sorry, if um, Jesus Sanchez, the outfielder, is still here, uh, which I'm pretty sure he will be, um, on the Marlins roster. And this guy makes it to the Marlins roster, how they would, like, you know, put their names on the back of their jerseys. I'm kind of going through that in my mind, how that would work, but I guess that remains to be seen. I, I, um, I, but, yeah, yeah. I think we can expect Jesus has his E. Sanchez to be traded this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> right. So hopefully, hopefully he has a, he has some good results this yeah. this last few games because it's gonna be too confusing, man. <laughs> we'll see what they do, man. But man, he's looked good. Um signed as a 17-year-old uh international free agent all the way back in 2016. So this guy's probably one without looking at it, I'm pretty sure he's probably one of the longest tenured guys on this team, or still with the organization, I should say. Um, yeah, he's been around for a while. Um, he kicked around in the DSL and GCL for parts of four years before coming to the Hammerheads this year. Um, rough start to him on the year, um, but his last five outings, Daniel, have been really good. I've really liked what I've seen. 21 innings pitched, three earned runs, and a 26-5 to five strikeouts to walks. Uh, so pretty good. He's lowered his ERA more than a full run for the season uh, over that span of those 21 innings that I just mentioned. What stands out about this guy to me, and we get these uh, metrics from StackCast, is the ridiculous spin rates, um, particularly on his slider. That pitch averages averages a spin rate of over 2,600 RPMs, and it's been up to like three th over 3,000. So elite spin rate um, on that pitch, and on the fastball as well, is also really good. Um, I think the difference for him lately as to why he's been able to do this is his fastball command. Um, doesn't have really much in the way of velo. Um, it's a sinker balling guy. He tops out at 93, sits in like 91. But like I said, spin rates, man, are all really, really good. And from what I see, a pretty unique delivery. That's pretty much what sets him apart. As I said, right now, mostly like sinker baller, slider ball, or sinker baller and slider pitcher. 
which is already a really good combo, as I mentioned. And it's led to a 41% ground ball rate, which is really good, which has also steadily improved over the course of this last little while. Um, ceiling, the lack of velo um, development of the changeup is really what he needs to do um, if he wants to stick as a starter. I think it's a future Penn guy, though. Um, you know, if he can do that, build the command consistently to what he is doing lately um, and build up the third pitch changeup, I think it's a guy who could stay as a starter, but I think it's more of a bullpen ceiling. Um, and like I said, he's been around for a while, uh, but he's still just 22 years old. So some room for growth. And I, I've liked him lately here for the Hammerheads. I think he's been good. All right. So that will be it for Jupiter. And we'll go on uh, to single advanced with the snappers. Um, these dudes definitely have gotten a boost upon their move into the new uh, ABC Supply Stadium, Daniel. Yuri and Dax as well. That was the huge story, as we call them, and Beloit Rockers and everybody else calls them the Teenage Twin Towers. They've moved up the ranks from Jupiter. <laughs> There's been a lot to be excited about, you know, there. They've transitioned well to that level. I think both of them have done, shown some, some good stuff. Talked about Yuri, Dax as well. Uh, but there's there's more to this Beloit team that has been equally exciting. So, Daniel, uh, your guys here, singly advanced Beloit. Um, how have they impressed you? Uh, they've gone on a 13 to 11 run so far this month, and they're nine and eight for winning record at ABC Supply. So, uh, your guys here. Members are fun. Um, I like I like following them. You know, the pitchers are good. Doesn't matter the name. They do well. Like they have a pretty fun rotation now with you know between. Soriano, MD Johnson, Teenage Twin Towers. I mean, the, even after McCambly and Nichols left, it looks pretty cool. Um, talking about that rotation, my first guy is a guy we've covered. I mean, we've covered this guy in this podcast a few times because he's had that good of a season. You know, we've been part of his 2021 story, MD Johnson. Uh, he in 2019, he was a he was a reliever, and he did well. Uh, he was one of the guys who was stretched out as you know, to start to begin the season as a starter, and he has impressed so much. He started in Jupiter, and untouchable in terms of of um, average against, but the walks, the crazy walks were the issue. He fixed it a bit. And he was promoted to high A. It, at high A, he has been so good as well. Um, in August, four starts, 22 innings pitched, seven hits, seven hits in 22 innings pitched, 11 walks. So in total, 0 0.82 whip, which is elite, 2.45 ERA, 31 strikeouts, good for a 12.68 K, you know, strikeouts per nine. Um, Per, per, per nine so he just keeps impressing and you love to see it i'm i'm kind of on the fence in terms of if i promote this guy but with eater going down he has the age he may be a good candidate to to move up to pensacola and see how he does over there uh because he's just he's dominating he needs to control he's controlling those walks it's, it's not as bad as it was and, and low A, but it's still, I mean, 11 and 22 this last month, that's still pretty high. That's, that's higher than where you want it, but man, that 0 0.82 whip and then the 12.68 keeper nine may be a good, um, uh, you know, a good signal, good sign that he's ready to move on. Let's see, let's see what happens. And my other guy, <laughs> Victor, Victor freaking Mesa. 
yes, he made it. He made it to our, to our, uh, <laughs> to our list. He has been absolutely amazing in Beloit. 34 yeah. games, which is 154 plate appearances, 319 average, 379 OBP, 471 slugging. This is a guy who well, last season, the 2019, like it was crazy if he had a, a line drive single, you know, all of his, like, they were all singles and they were all ground balls, you know? So 471 slugging, the guy's hitting bombs, his first career home run, and then three more. He's bat flipping like crazy and everything. Like if you see a home run, he just bat flips as if he were freaking Barry Bonds. Um, 850 OPS with a 134 WRC plus, eight stolen bases, an elite. I mean, that's eight stolen bases in 34 games. I mean, that's, I mean, he, he can run. An elite 16.9% K rate. By the way, average in the minors right now is around 23% K rate. So, you know, that 16 is really good. And he also offers MLB ready defense in center field. Yes, I know. I know what everyone's going to say. He's too old for that level. And uh, maybe uh, it's only 30 games. And it is. But it's good to see. And, and I will offer some counterpoints to those comments. You know, number one is while he is too old for that level, we need to keep in mind that he was signed as a 23-year-old. And more importantly, he hadn't played competitive baseball for multiple years before that 2019 season. It was a horrible season for him. And of course, you know, that's, that's the, uh, the season that everyone has on their minds. This first season, everybody was expecting a lot and he like, it was really, really bad, but let's keep this in mind. This is okay. He lost 2020 for the pandemic. He came back. Now, regarding the small sample size comment, yes, it's true, but he has actually played more games in high A this season that double, than the double A. He only played 20 games in double A and was injured during that time. So people that are saying that, you know, his, his two seasons have been bad, it's not true, man. I mean, it's, he has been really good this season at high A, and I do believe that if he's promoted again, he will show this at double A. So I think he deserves a chance he may still be become a very good fourth outfielder at the major league level, or who knows, even a bit better than that. Yeah. I, I talked about him last show. Um, just a quick comment on him. I talked about him last show. It's a guy that, that, as you said, didn't play competitive baseball for almost two years. And then of course, all of 2020 is gone. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that this is what he needed just go down and gain some confidence. And he's definitely showing better. Just look at the battered ball stats. Um, I was just looking at it, um, you know, when he came up in 2019 with a uh, single A advanced, it was a 58.7 ground ball rate, which is astronomical. And then with double A it was 62 and a half, which is also astronomical. The um, line drive percentages there were 16 and a half and 10.2 um, this year with double uh, A, of course, which is where he started 53.7 ground ball rate, which is again, very, very high. You want to see line drive contacts, especially from a power guy. Um, but then he goes to Beloit and look at the line drive rate, 19.8% line drive contact. And as, as Daniel stated, um, you know, it's a small sample size, but the fact that he's doing that in more games at, at single A advanced than he was doing a lot less than that, of course, um, at double A, that, that says something that, you know, this guy is, is, is gaining confidence in his swing, finding better contact, finding barrel more. I really like it. Um, I, I really think that this guy is somebody that we should not give up on. We definitely need to see him promoted back to double A and see how it translates um, after this stint here with Beloit. And I do think we will see that. 
Um, but man, it, it's been really good um, so far for him in Beloit. So man, even if he finishes the year there and, and goes to double A next season, um, I, I, th- I think that that's, that's a perfectly fine solution for him because he's just gaining confidence and, 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 and putting the bat on the ball a lot better. So I like him. Um, I, I think he's going to be okay. And like Daniel said, floor, floor as a, um, as a fourth outfielder, um, still has potential to be a starter, even though he's 23. So yeah. Um, or I'm, I'm sorry, even though he's what 25 now, right? Yeah. 25. So yeah. Um, still some potential for, for Victor Victor to grow into a, a good major league baseball player, I think. So uh, like it. All right. Um, I guess I'll get to mine. Um, and mine's going to be uh, a guy that just got promoted, but did spend almost the whole month uh, with the snappers and it's Cam Meisner. Um, guys, this is what we say when we say, and we could say about Victor Victor, we could say it about this guy and a lot of other guys, stay patient when it comes to these guys, especially these guys out of the 2019 draft. Um, he had a poor May Meisner and a subpar June and July, but in August, different player. And here he is. He hits 324, 427, 554. He got on base in 23 straight games, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, he was always prized for his uh, plate presence, I would say. Uh, it took him a little bit to show it at the single A advanced level. Um, he struck out 101 times over the first three months of the season, which I just mentioned. Um, he K just 18 times in 74 at bats while walking 10 times in August. Um, the improved uh, plate presence that I just mentioned. It's allowed that plus plus hit tool to go to work for, for Cam Meisner. And it's really shown up. Like I said, 23 straight games on base slash 324, 427, 554. And here he is with, with double A Pensacola. Um, the fact for me, Daniel, that Meisner is promoted to double A um, ahead of Connor Scott and ahead of Victor, Victor Mesa. That says a lot. I think about where the Marlins are on the future of this kid. And I think they should be high on him because this is a guy with a fantastic hitter's eye quick lefty swing, extreme athleticism, built, I would say, for a very, very good average and balanced stats across the board. Um, I, I've said this before. I see a lot of Christian Yelich and how he sets up, and a lot of his mechanics look like Christian Yelich. It's just easy left-handed contact, as I said, with a good hitter's eye. Um, and he does it against both sides, both sides pitching, uh, lefties and righties, and he's got some natural pop as well. Um, the fact that he's shown nearly equal slash lines versus, versus both lefties and righties, which I just mentioned, Says a lot about his potential, man. I'm really super excited to see how this kid does as a 23-year-old with the Blue Wahoos um, when their season gets back going here next week. Yeah, man. Uh, Absolutely agreed. All right. I have one more to get to. Um, Brian Hoeing. (laughs) Daniel, listen, I've kind of been all over the place on this guy. Um, You know I've kind of been calling for him to be removed from the Beloit rotation for a long time. Um, with everything that, you know, guys in Jupiter are doing and other guys, you know, so it's a guy that I've kind of been like, okay, this is a bullpen piece, but man, (laughs) this month, geez, he's looked all the bit of starter, man. Mm -hmm. You know, it's looked really, really good. Um, He's always been a guy that has to really rely on the ground ball to succeed. Um, This month, Daniel, these are the stats, the counting stats. He's recorded 81 outs, 41 have come via the ground out. Um, And then the ERA is just, so improved 1.00 ERA uh, in this month. So the ball is down. ERA is down. He just struck out a career high 10 hitters. I don't think this is a high strikeout guy, but man, he racked up 10 strikeouts. Um, and he's gotten to that level after he was regularly giving up homers, like for most of the rest of the season. So clearly he's found something in his command. Um, he was up to 95 in his college days with the velo kind of settled into a lower range. I would say like 92 to eh, like 90 to 93 from what I've seen and just tra- tracking his pitches as a pro. Um, throws a fastball both ways, two and four seam, some natural sink to it due to his high arm slide. He's a six, six guy 
placement has been the biggest difference, especially on the fastball. The fastball command has been really good. Also has a high arcing 75 to 78 mile per hour curve, usable changeup as well. Uh, but yeah, like I said, overall, just better fastball command, ability to work ahead, induce that weak ground ball contact on a more consistent basis. Um, you know, as we said, coming out, coming out of the draft, um, he's most likely still a future multiple inning reliever, I think. But like I said, he's looked like a starter lately. Um, he's raised that floor quite a bit, I think, here in this last month. So I want to see him continue, man. I- I'm intrigued to see how this guy does in the upper minors. I think next season he should get the push to double A. Um, could could stick as a back end starter, but I-, I do think future reliever. But man, he's looked good lately. So um, an interesting yeah. guy. Another MD Johnson. Like they have to get some interesting pitchers in Beloit, man, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, another interesting guy. I do see um I do see him. I project him as a solid middle maybe a middle reliever. Yeah. I think a ground ball guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd do well there. MD I'm interested more um to see what happens as a starter, but for him I would see him as a as a you know, kind of a higher leverage type of 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 pitcher like maybe high walks but also high Ks. Yeah. Uh, really interested to see how they both end up doing. We talk about it so much with pitchers in this system. Like, you know, it's a lot different for hitters and we don't need to go into that, but man, this, this development system and the people that they have in it throughout the entire organization, they fixed MD Johnson. Brian Hoeing is looking good. Like these are names that like, you know, they're, they're backend prospects, but man, if they can turn them into usable start, like starting rotation pieces, even if it's backend, even if it's bullpen, you know, if they can build them up and, and improve, you know, MD Johnson's control, which was literally out of control in Jupiter and in terms of what he's doing now is mm-hmm. like night and day. And then again, with hoeing and other guys, it's just like this, this pitching development system top to bottom is incredible. And there, you can't say enough about that. And we were talking about that before the show, Daniel, but man, it's it, can't say enough about if they could do half of what they do with pitchers, with hitters, <laughs> this would be the best development system in baseball, but the hitters have to catch up. I guess that's another absolutely story. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's absolutely right, man. You got it. Hit the nail on the head. Half of what they do with the pitchers, with the hitters, I mean, that's, that's it. Right. World exactly. Series. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> perennial, perennial uh, contender. If they <laughs> Anyways, um, we'll go on. That's another topic. We'll, we'll go on. We'll go up. Uh, Double A Pensacola, um, been a bit of a rough patch for them, not on the field. Really? Uh, let me, sorry, sorry for interrupting you really quickly. Yeah, yeah go ahead. So I don't forget. We got, we did get a question on Soriano. From, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Over my brother. Uh, why, isn't, why isn't he talked about enough? I'd say my answer to that is it's because he, like, really, really came into the scene this season. Uh, his numbers were a bit mediocre in 2019, but he was so young. Yeah. He, right now he's looking like the real deal. He didn't have his best yeah. start last one, last, um, you know, his last, last outing, but he's 22 and he's dominating high A and they're just looking so good. He, his, his K numbers have increased drastically from last season and, and every other number is, is, is better. Like is down the ERAs, the whips, everything. So be excited about Soriano. Seriously. Yeah, I don't know what it was with him um, in terms of why he started the season late, but he started in extended spring training um, and then mm-hmm. uh, got assigned to Jupiter and he was killing it for Jupiter. And we, me and you both, Daniel, were like, why isn't Soriano? They need to call him up. They need to challenge him. Uh, and he is still young, like you said, though. So, I mean, you know, it would it would be worse if it was like a 24 year old kid and he was still pitching in, in low A and doing what he did. But he did get the push to, to Beloit and he's been fantastic 
Um, it's really good fastball slider. Um, the third pitch is what needs to catch up. We say that about a lot of pitchers and I know I probably sound like a broken record, but it's true. Uh, the third pitch is what needs to catch up for him. And he's shown it with, with Beloit. He's shown, I think a good changeup and made him, you know, grown it, you know, from where it was just like a mix in to maybe a blueprint pitch. And he's starting to use that pitch more. Um, and it's translated really well for him against single A advanced hitters, um, which is good to see. I think he's still like 22 years old. So still some time for him, man. And, and a guy that I don't think was talked about a lot to answer your question, Marcelo, because um, he started the season late and, you know, like I said, just didn't have that third pitch, but man, he's, he's come on well. And another guy, you know, we can tie him in with the guys that we just talked about with, with MD, um, hoeing a lot of others throughout this Marlins organizational system that are just guys that they continue to build up and continue to bring the best out of. And that's, that's just the testament to the, what I just talked about in the, um, the development system for this, this, uh, the pitching, um, you want to see the hitting get close to it, um, for sure. But yeah, Soriano, another interesting guy. Um, he may not have been talked about uh, league wide, but we've definitely talked about him. I know I've talked about him a lot on Twitter and me and Daniel have talked about him on the podcast, but I think we both really like that kid. And I think he could turn into a solid back end uh, rotational piece personally. So yeah, another good name. Uh, just an exciting staff to watch in Beloit right now, man, especially with the additions of Yuri and Dax. But even before that, just some interesting lower, like lower organizational in terms of like top prospects, you know, lower level guys that are just, just getting better and better. So love it. Uh, and yeah, we, we love Soriano. I think he's going to be yep. good. All right. We'll go up. Um, I think that's probably it on Beloit. We'll go up. Um, Pensacola, double A. Um, our friends over uh, across in Western Florida, upstate Western Florida, um, been a bit of a rough patch for them, not really on the field, but due to circumstances off of it, Daniel, um, they had a bunch of guys that were experiencing mild uh, flu-like symptoms. It caused them to go to the 70 and I think even red, cause I don't think minor league baseball has the COVID designation uh, that major league baseball does for the injured mm-hmm. list. So I was looking at the roster one day and I saw like five guys were placed on the 60 day. I was like, Whoa, what's, what's going on here? Um, that can't be right. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I reached out, I got, I kind of got some information that they, they were just experiencing some mild flu like symptoms and, you know, they just erred on the side of caution and kept them out for a bit. Um, a lot of bullpen guys were included in that. Um, and then, uh, they go on the road here just recently and they go to Mississippi and they get an entire series canceled. Of course, this coincides with the call up of Meisner, who I just talked about who's now sat around for a week and not done anything, which sucks for any player, especially one that's, you know, itching to get his, his first taste of the upper minors um, and, you know, throws off pitchers as well. So we'll see what they do as they get back into it. Um, but yeah, the Mississippi Braves had some issues with contact tracing and they just canceled the entire series. Um, so yeah, they'll get back to it this coming week here. Uh, but yeah, just, um, you know, not, not the best case in terms of that on both of those things that I just mentioned, but some good baseball being played when they were on the field and we'll talk about it. Um, Daniel, I'll let you go first, um, get to your guy or guys that have impressed you with Pensacola while they were playing. Definitely. Uh, main guy here is Peyton Burdick. He has had an amazing season. You know, some people were kind of down on him maybe because he had one bad month, but um, so let's go through it per month. 822 OPS in May, 855 OPS in June. That's, that's really good. He had one mediocre month in July, 643 OPS. And what does he do? He adjusts and has his best month of the year in August with a thousand, you know, 1080 OPS, 20 home runs this season. So I'm going to say something maybe a little bit controversial. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know if you, (laughs) my partner here 
will agree with me, but I think Peyton Burdick is ready to be killed, be called up to the majors. Not wow. Okay. <laughs> to the majors. Hear me out. 134 WRC plus at the double A level after skipping high A. I've been waiting for him to bring that K rate down and he has 24% K rate in August, which for the power that this guy has and the, the strikeout frenzy that's going on in the minors, 24% is really good. I mean, that's not where he is um, for this season, but he is getting better. He's, you know, it's something he's been adjusting to. Um, I also believe that for hitters, triple A isn't really a level above double A. It's just more of the same in yeah. those two levels and only for hitters for pitchers. I don't believe that. I think triple A is worth uh, going there for development. If you're a pitcher, but not for a hitter, like if there's no spot in the major league level for you, then, and you already killed it in double A fine, go to triple A. But as a hitter, I feel like the level is pretty much the same. So in other words, He's ready to be promoted, but what's the point of sending him to AAA? He already dominated AA, so why send him to AAA? So instead of having, I don't know, Brinson out there every single night, how about we audition a guy for next year who is actually part of the future? He may have his growing pains, but I mean, I think he's ready to just go and learn and, 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 and adjust. He's a really, really good player, and I'm excited to see what he can do. So the, the question that I'll ask about this, um, just to, where my mind kind of goes, and yes, he's had an amazing month. I think his batting average has gone up like 35 points or something like that since since July. So an incredible month. He's had like eight multi-hit games in the month of August. So finding the consistency that we talk about all the time that we want to see in these prospects as they're starting to polish off. And I think Burdick at 24 is one of them, um, especially after that lost year, huge month. Love to see it. 352 batting average. Like the average is what sticks out to me. We know he has a power, but just the consistency of getting on base, you know, even if it's not via a home run, just, just put the ball in play and get on base. And that's what he's been so much better at is getting balls in play um, and, and getting on base. And that's, that's been his crux all year and he's fixing it or it looks like he's fixed it here in August. Great month. But my question, Daniel, for you would be now with Laywin um, getting called up, looks like it probably in September here coming up. Uh, a couple of days. Um, and he has now that left field eligibility or that what the Marlins are looking at. Um, he kind of fills that spot. You want him to get the regular at bats. So, and you want De La Cruz, who's been so good. I think you want to keep getting him regular at bats. Um, and then you got Jesus Sanchez, who of course you want to get him the regular at bats. Is there room for him on the roster to still get the consistent playing time? I think so. I mean, I don't think he has to play seven games a week. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's our who's our outfield right now? I'd say Dela Cruz in center. Yeah, and then for the corners, you'll have Jesus and and um, and Lewin for for a few games, Burdick for a few games, maybe four or five a week. But the other guy who has to kind of suffer a little bit for this is is um, is Aguilar. You know, yeah. he he can also have four or five games a week, and Lewin can go to first base. Um, I, I think so. I, I think Burdick is, is a legitimate candidate for next season to start at the MLB level, maybe. So instead of auditioning him starting in spring training, why not use September 
as a as a moment like to see him let's see how he adjusts let's see how he he um you know what he shows at the major league level for for a month again doesn't have to be playing every day but you also don't want to obviously call him up to play once right. a week that's what i was playing yeah. with lewin right so three four games per week um maybe five i think i think they can do that and um and so yeah i just kind of wanted to bring that up see what our listeners thought about that um we're not playing for anything and i think Burdick is is a mature enough player to not let himself like he's not a twenty year old. We're we're bringing up here like to the bright lights of the MLB, and like if he does you know if he, if he doesn't do well, he's gonna you know put his head down and 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 maybe have his game suffer. This is a guy who I think now has the skill to if he does you know if, if he doesn't do well to adjust and get better. So I think he's a really good candidate to to bring up. So did I make the case? Yeah, good points. I mean, I, the only thing that I would worry about, and I guess I maybe have PTSD or whatever from what they did earlier in the season, um, I just don't want him coming up and sitting on the bench. <laughs> this is the Absolutely. last thing you no, need to do with that's any That's what process. they're going to do. Yeah, no, that's what they're going to do. Don't even try it. Yeah, exactly. He has to play uh, you know, four, four or five games a, a week. Three, Definitely. Four. Uh, but yeah, even if they don't call him up, which um, Daniel makes a good case, but even if they don't, um, he's going to be in spring training and you know, depending on what the Marlins do in the offseason, that's another guy that could battle because, man, especially if he finishes out, mm-hmm. say he stays in double A and finishes out on this pace, that's a guy that's going to get a serious, serious look. And we've heard Kim Ang mention his name verbatim and saying that he's a, he's a guy that she really, really likes. Um, you know, he's got the positional flexibility now. He's playing pretty much all three outfield spots. And as we stated, this month of August was incredible for him. and such a relief to see, um, especially after how he struggled a little bit there earlier in the year. So yeah, um, we'll see what they do. Uh, but yeah, a guy that's, that's coming on quick and joy to see is one of my favorite prospects in the organization. So see how he does. We'll see what they do with him and, and see how they go forward with his development. But yeah, another guy to watch. Um, I'll get to my one guy, um, this level. It's a guy that we talked about at the top of the show. I'll, I'll talk about him again, a little bit more in depth is Kyle Nicholas. Um, this guy, as I mentioned, he's, he's been an interesting case. He got the call to double a on June 21st. And he was really struggling in Beloit, I would say, Daniel. Um, you know, his last start with them was, was good. Uh, it was a quality start right before his call-up. Um, but before that, the last just, just his last two starts before that, let's just look at those, you know, and it starts before that. He was going like three and four innings on a lot of them and just maybe he wasn't built up. I don't, I don't know. But, man, his two starts before that quality start, both of them were six earned runs. So it, it was a really interesting time to see him get that promotion Obviously, the Marlins saw you know, that he was capable of the promotion and they challenged him and he's handled it very, very, very well. But the stat line in, in, in 12 outings with, with the snappers, just to point it out as a whole, 59.2 innings pitch, 5.28 ERA, and a lot of damage done on home runs, 13 home runs allowed, 1.26 whip, which is decent, uh, 86-24 KDB. Um, but like I said, he gets the call to double A and like I said, he's been really good. 26.2 innings pitch, gave up just two earned runs and just one home run a 26-10 KBB. So like I said, he gets that, that really big jump, uh, wasn't pitching his best, and he's been really, really good. What's the difference uh, it, it, for me? Um, I honestly think when it comes to guys like this and McCambly, who also wasn't doing fantastic at the time of his call-up, um, he had given up, I think, three homers in one of his last starts in Beloit, as I mentioned before. The Marlins, and I, and I said this at the top of the show, like why did they call him up? I, I really think they're showcasing them. Uh, to potential trade suitors in the offseason by having them pitch um, for these uh, this upper level in the upper level minors in double A, 
Um, so yeah, I, I think McCambly has struggled in, in doing so in double A, the numbers kind of prove that, but it's really worked for, for Kyle. Um, I think the main difference is his fastball command, a lot more working ahead for him, especially early in counts, setting guys up slider has shown a little more consistency as well. We know he was kind of building that pitch up in college, kind of gaining the feel for it. I think it's definitely been better continuing to polish off a third pitch changeup as well. It's also shown some flashes. So overall, um, some good progression from him, I would say, Daniel. Um, there was some doubt coming out of the draft that he could stick as a starter, especially after the lost 2020 development year for him. But man, it looks really good right now for him. Um, the question will be how long is his future with the Marlins? As we said, because of the loss of Eater now, who probably won't be traded, I don't think, um, after how this guy has been doing lately, he's got to be top of mind for me in terms of trade candidates for the Marlins in the offseason. Um, we know how that's shaping up and we'll get into that. You know, we already got into that as well, uh, before what they're going to be going after. I think Nicholas is a guy, um, he's been really good, but I, I kind of would say that his time in the Marlins organization, judging by where they're going with trades, I think he's got to be top of mind when it comes to the offseason. What do you think? I agree with everything you said, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so we're on the same page there. Um, we'll go up, uh, our last level triple a. Uh, Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Good month for them. Uh, 15 and 11 with one game remaining to be played here in the month of August. Um, they've won six of the last seven here this month as it's about to close, as I just said, uh, some key contributors, uh, for these wins as well. Um, we'll get to them. I have one guy, but Daniel, I'll let you get to yours first. Go ahead. Sure. Um, my guy is someone we've, uh, we know and love <laughs> it's Monte Harrison. <laughs> Um, now this guy is technically not a prospect, but I feel we should treat him as one with the amount of, of, uh, plate appearances he has had as a major leaguer. He had a pretty solid month. Um, August, he had a 793 OPS, 347 OBP, five home runs, eight stolen bases. Like we know that's, that's what he has. It's, it's the power and the speed, just that athleticism. Guess what the huge problem is. Like if you listeners know Monte, you just know that the problem are the strikeouts. Pretty much every out he made was a K. <laughs> In 96 plate appearances, he managed to strike out 39 times. That's a 40% K rate. He did manage to walk, um, to have a 13% walk rate, which is pretty good for him. Uh, but but the Ks, are, they're just always there. Our hitting development simply has no idea yeah. about how to fix that for, for like grab any guy you want who has had strikeout problems for Miami that hasn't been able to fix it. You got Monte, you got Brinson, you've got Isan, you got Alfaro, just the list goes on and on. You know, they haven't been able to fix this for our players. I, um, I assume Monte should be up shortly, assuming that the team will let him play after his, his fight with Starling or whatever that was. Yeah. But yeah, I just kind of want to, let it let let our let you guys know that he's still there. <laughs> he's still there. I mean, he's still he hasn't really developed like we want to see, but you know, he's he's putting up a few numbers. Yeah, all the athleticism in the world, Monte Harrison. That's it's always been the case um, for him. It's just putting it all together, and as you said, with you know cutting down strikeouts is just something that he hasn't been able to do. But man, when that guy gets a hold of a baseball. <laughs> I, I, I think there was one home run this year, Daniel, not too long ago that he hit like 460 feet, like halfway into the parking lot in Jacksonville, which if you guys have been to that stadium, you know how far that ball actually went. 
So yeah, it hits, hits some absolute seeds and no doubters. And, you know, it's just, it's just getting, getting to that more, you know, and not to flailing and he can, can look foolish um, against some, some pitches, especially good breaking stuff. He can look very bad. So yeah, I think that's the biggest hole for him is just cutting down strikeouts. Um, can he do it? It's looked better lately, as Daniel said, um, he's still there. Um, uh, we'll see what his um, ultimate future is with the Marlins. I honestly don't think it's, that great of a future for him. I think he may be included as like a throwing piece to a trade in the off season, especially if he can continue to do what he's doing in this month in September, but we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, really athletic guy, big power tool just has to put it together with the strikeouts. So um, yeah, good to see him doing well though. Um, I have one guy and we've mentioned him a couple times already in the show, but I want to, I want to talk about him one more time, Daniel, because it's probably the last time we'll talk about him <laughs> as a member of an affiliate. <laughs> because it looks like he's coming up, right? So sure. I'll go to, to Lewin Diaz. Um, but yeah, um, we think he's coming up now with, with the rosters expanding. You see him in left field. Uh, but man, just an absolutely monstrous month to put the cherry on top of the I'm ready to be promoted Sunday that he's been crafting most of the season in AAA and obviously blocked by Aguilar, which we got into. So you see him getting the positional flexibility. He's probably going to come up and play some left field. Cool. Look good out there, man. Um, you know, it's only two games that we've seen, Daniel, but um, you know, most of the stuff that's been hit to him is routine. I think he he fits that 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 position well. You know, it's not the hardest position to play on the diamond. It gets a little trickier, I think, at Lone Depot with the lights inside, of course, playing in a dome. Don't play in a lot of domes in minor league baseball, you know. So I think it's gonna be a transition process in that regard. But he's looked fine um in his couple games out there. Yeah. It's an athletic kid you know, tall kid makes big, long strides. I think he'll be able to cover ground well. Right. So yeah, why not gains the positional flexibility? We know that organization loves that. And then the offense talk about the offense. Look at the month, 338, 433, 623, six home runs, 13 RBIs. Um, the biggest thing for me, Daniel, in this month is um, tw- uh, just 12 strikeouts and 11 walks. So the K rate has shrunk, un- shrunk, I should say under 19%, which is absolutely is fantastic. So yeah. That is so good for a power hitter. Exactly. For a power so first good. guy. That's, that's huge, huge. And a lot of it has been because of this month. Um, so yeah, for, for that number to be that low for a guy that hits like this is absolutely insane. Um, going to all fields makes consistent contact. Now, as we saw very recently, as I said, with the positional flexibility, easier to get him into games. Man, I, I think this is a, a really good step for his progression as a hitter. I think he's ready to be in major league baseball. I think he was ready to be in major league baseball two months ago. But as I said, with everything going on, you know, with, with being blocked at the first base position, um, they opened a door for him and he, he's, he's coming up and he, I think he's going to be really, really good for the Marlins. Um, you know, for the rest of this year, I think he's, he's ready to show it at the big league level already did last time he was up. So yeah, uh, it'll be a joy to see him get regular at bats at the major league level. That's what will be huge for Lewin Diaz. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a kid that's really coming into his own and yeah, um, just filling out so well. And I think that he's going to be a great major league baseball player. And I think he will be a full-time starter either as a DH first baseman or slotting in in left field. So a joy to see Lewin. And I think he's going to have a great career. I agree with you, man. I mean, he, he, he looks legit and, and I've, I've said it before. It's, it's inexcusable that he's still in triple A. I mean, whatever they needed to do to get him at bats. If, if, if the plan was to get him to, 
to become an outfielder why are they doing it in september you know they had all this time to do it they knew he was blocked by both cooper and aguilar so why start now i mean maybe they started before and he we're just seeing it in games now but i mean four months uh, man and all while you have you know magnir sierra and lewis brinson and now jorge alfaro who (laughs) i think has zero future with the marlins organization playing that spot when you could be giving that spot to Levin Diaz. Don't want to dwell on the past. No idea what that thinking is. I can't explain it to you guys. My, my best explanation. And I was asked this the other day is that they just want to, I guess, prove that Alfaro can play another spot because he's not a typically good backstop as a catcher, right? Leads the league and pass balls. Doesn't really frame over league average. So they want to show trade candidates that, Hey, he can also play left field. Right. And his offense has come on a little bit lately, which is great, but I would much rather have given all of those at bats that Alfaro has got in left field. And even before that with guys like Sierra and, and, you know, Brinson has been good lately, Mm -hmm. but before with him, I'd much rather have given him to Lewin Diaz on a regular basis, man, but they're doing it now, which I guess is the good, the good thing. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Um, Yeah. With Alfaro, I think it's what you're saying. And it's also that, um, and not to be really brief here, it's they're trying to see what what they have with his bat what happens if you take away the the um all of the work that you have to put in as a catcher when you only need to really really work on your hitting what happens like can we can we unlock his yeah forever promise you know of, of of hitting tools but but i mean yeah he's been better but it's what you're saying i don't see him as as the future there either yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll see what they do with that. Um, I'm, I'm glad that Lewin is finally up and he's going to be getting those regular at-bats. So uh, yep. really big. Um, so enjoy him, Marlins, Marlins fans. Uh, we've had a, a great time covering him in the minors, but I think he's here to stay in the major. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So um, that's it for our um, affiliates and levels. I think, Daniel, you had a couple more questions before we wrap it up. So go ahead. Yes. Um, let's see. We had a couple more uh asdu family fan asks what is your off-season trade wish list um for me i mean i'll take anyone who has proven they can hit in the majors at this point (laughs) obviously young young uh young talent if not um like if if it can't be proven then someone that i really like is the race center field prospect josh lowe um kid looks like he's going to be very 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 good so if we're not going with someone who, who has is proven, I'll go with him. Yeah, I'll go with you, Daniel. For me, it's controllable guys, right? And preferably guys that have proven, especially if the Marlins want to open this competitive window, which they've talked about ad nauseum. We've talked about that. Other places have talked about that. They want to really try to be competitive in 2022. And I think they can be, but they need to address catcher and they need at least one outfielder, probably two, but they could get away with one, especially with everything we were saying with, you know, Burdick and, and, you know, now Lewin with the positional flexibility. So they can get away with, with one, right? Um, yeah. You know, but I, I think it's, it's for me, years of control and guys that are proven, as I stated. Um, you talk about the names that are thrown around a lot. I think the Pirates would be a great, great, great trade partner. Um, you, could, you, could, you could answer both positions of need with them, Daniel, with, with uh, Stallings as the catcher, um, and then um, Brian Reynolds as a center fielder. So, um, you know, the Pirates are, of course, a rebuilding team, so they're going to want younger prospects. I'm not going to bring up Yuri's name, but I'm, I'm sure they would ask about Yuri. But 
you know, don't want to go there. Outside of Yuri, though, the Marlins have so many young kids, you know, especially on the pitching front, younger kids that are just getting started. We talked about a lot of them on this show that yeah, they, could, they, they, they could go there, you know, Fitterer, Daxton Fulton, you know, go down the line with pitching and then, you know, talk about positional guys. You can, you can go to some of the middle infield depth with maybe Ian Lewis or, um, or uh, Osiris Johnson would be maybe another one that's kind of coming on. He's a little bit, you know, been up and down, but another guy that, that could be included in that conversation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot to deal with, to deal from, you know, this, this, this organization, as we know, is, is multi-layered. It's not just the guys that are, that are almost ready. It's the guys that are getting ready. And there's been a lot to talk about with that, as we've talked about already. So, yeah, I think it's um, for me, controllable guys and major league ready guys. If it's somebody that doesn't have major league experience because Daniel gave you his, I'll give you mine. And this guy has had, I think, a little bit of a taste. Um, I don't know if this team would be one that the Marlins would be dealing with. But if they did want to get a little bit younger, um, I would say Esteban Florial would be a guy for me that I would like um, to come back in a potential trade from the New York Yankees. Again, I don't know if they're really a suitor, but yeah, just, just a guy, a guy like that. If the Yankees want to get younger, if they want to, you know, try to bring in some, some major league ready or near major league ready prospects, especially in terms of pitching. Um, I think that they could definitely, you know, take a, a Nicholas or a McCambly or a guy like that. And it would take a package of course, because Esteban's one of their best prospects. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that 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 could be on the table and that's a guy I would really like to go after because I love him as a prospect. So that's my answer. <laughs> No, no, I think we're both on the same page. Um, they need, they need um, just major league ready talent. Yeah. The Marlins need to contend in 2022. Uh, you know, enough's enough. So that's, that's, uh, we're looking for trade pieces that we want. It's, it's major league ready hitting. Yeah. And uh, the other question from at Beloit Rockers uh, great to see Odie Perez and Dax Fulton promoted to Beloit. What would you like to see the Teenage Twin Towers trademark work on this last month of the season? Yeah, these guys invented, or um, sorry, uh, Ian Smith and uh, invented Teenage Twin Towers and, and Beloit rockers loved it. So <laughs> so it's, it's, it's great to, that, that they're using the terminology to trademark right there. Um, so what we want to see them work on the last month of the season I honestly just want to see them getting more and more innings and experience. They're both so good. All they need is reps. They're, you know, heads up. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're both coming up on their, on their innings limit. I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie gets like one or two more starts and, and then he's shut down for the season. But as soon as he comes back next season, I hope that it's, you know, the limits not completely out. But I would like to see, um, I would like to see him go a seven inning game. We didn't get to see that once, so that's the only let's call it question mark that make him up for 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 these two guys. So yeah, it's just getting reps for this season. Now that's that's all I want. Yeah, no, I think I absolutely agree. For Yuri, it's just keep going. Um, like you said, I, I would like to see him work deeper into games because a lot of his starts are like three or four innings with Jupiter and they pulled him because of his limit. You know, they were really monitoring his pitch counts and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I would want to see him work deeper into games. That's really it on for Yuri on me, everything else. I, the issues that I talked about before with him, he's really cleaned up. I've talked about that 
um, on this show and other ones as well with, with how he's masking arm speed now and, and really just throwing everything with the same amount of effort. I really think he's cleaned that up. Um, so yeah, for him, it's just keep going. Um, just, just, just keep doing what he's doing pretty much. And the one thing I definitely agree, Daniel, just work deeper into maybe if, even if it's just one game, you know, just prove that he can go seven innings, hold his velo through all seven innings, you know, and you know, just that, that kind of stuff, just, just the, I guess the stamina and the endurance is what I would want to see out of him. Um, and then with Daxton, um, I would say less walks. Um, a lot of walks with Jupiter, 30 walks in what, like 16, 65 innings or 58 innings, not even 60 innings, 58.2 innings. And he walks 30 guys. So a high walk rate. Um, I would want to see him bring those down. Stuff is good. Um, I really think um, it's more of a command issue than control. I think the control's decent. It's just spotting pitches. And that'll, that'll come, especially in this development yeah, system no. that we talked about. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he's coming from, from a Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's a, that's a common symptom of not symptom but a common consequence right. just building back your arm strength and yeah totally get it for sure yep yeah so uh that's that's it for me on those guys yuri keep going daxton bring down the walks and continue to build his arm back that's for sure as daniel said so that's it for me on on them um but yeah it's 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 great to see them get challenged um, especially yuri because i definitely I, I think they both deserved it but man to see yuri at 18 years old pitching against guys that are almost five and a half years older than him and he's still effective is awesome um, his last couple starts, as Daniel said, for both those guys, I think they will be shut down on innings limit um, pretty soon. Probably 100 innings, I would probably say they're, they're probably going to be done. But um, yeah, absolute joy to see that them up and staying effective for sure. Yep. All right. So I think that's it. Got to a lot in this episode, as we did uh, in our last episode when we recapped, tried to recap an entire month. Um, so that will probably do it, I think, for this episode, episode 28 of, of Swimming Upstream. A lot of good topics. Daniel, thank you, as always, for being on the show. Thank you to everybody who sent in a question. Uh, the engagement is awesome. We always love that. Um, if you guys have anything else that you need that you need answered, just let us know for future episodes. We try to get to as many as possible. And like I said, we, we absolutely love engaging with the audience. So Thank you again to everybody that sent in a question. Um, thank you again. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, that huge milestone on, on 5,000 followers. Um, uh, another thing to mention, just uh, behind the scenes front, um, we are welcoming in two. I was, it was only going to be one, <laughs> but I just couldn't pick between these two candidates. So I, I did uh, bring in two more writers for the website that will be contributing, um, hopefully on a weekly basis. Um, I'll introduce them shortly on the website. I have articles, I believe, from each of them coming up in the coming week, uh, starting tomorrow. So you'll get to know them. These are great people and people that just met every requirement that I was asking for when it, when it came to, to building this on the writing front. So, um, and then hopefully uh, me and Daniel have been going back and forth on this uh, without giving it away. We hope on our next show to have a really big player interview. So uh, stay tuned for that one. That should be hopefully on our next episode of the show, hopefully this coming week. So stay tuned for all of that. Again, we thank you guys so much for all the engagement and everything that you guys provide in letting us bring this, this coverage to you. So for Alex and Daniel, uh, that's episode 28, Swimming Upstream. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the time. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>